podcast team doesn't have no words. This podcast is called Secret Skin, like bus driver Secret Skin. Not his real skin, but the name of one of his songs. If I could write, then I would have had a natural fade out on my voice, like a switch I could turn in my lungs and diaphragm to dial the vocal down along with the music but I don't have that because I am not a cyborg I used to think I was when I was little though this is real real talk keeping it 100 with you internet um I used to have a lot of instances when I was young where I thought that uh, maybe I was a fake person maybe like the only fake person or something like that um some aspect of social anxiety I'm sure I stopped thinking that when I broke my leg, though, because that shit hurt a lot. I broke the, the tibia. And to this day, like, if somebody's hand comes near near there, I could punch them. I could, could punch them just for uh, getting near the spot where it was the most pain that I ever felt in my life. Felt human after that. Uh, been up to a lot lately. Just put out this video, the Celebrity Reduction Prayer. Um, check that out on your youtube machine um i was just in new york did a show out there shot another video which i don't know why i'm talking about it if you can't see it yet uh and i came back home for a day on that day i had to record a song i wrote the day before <laughs> on the airplane and um had to take the sorriest piano lesson it ever was the sorriest i haven't practiced at allest uh let me let my piano teacher talk as much as possible so I will not be exposed for my lack of betterment from last week to this week. And then I flew to Kansas City and uh, performed as part of a festival, which I wasn't aware of before, the festival itself. But um, it was one of those ones that said a bunch of different bars. And so it was a festival for drunk people. And it was very interesting. Like... Uh, you had to be 21 and over just to get in to the bar air, like the festival area, which was just where all the bars were. And um, it'd be like 10 o'clock at night and it'd be gals with skimpy dresses, barefoot, like, <laughs> like they've been drinking seven hours already. It was a lot. It was interesting. It was fun. Got to check out Atmosphere, got to check out POS and Astronautilus. And that was cool. Um, that's all, I think for right now and uh this episode is the uh, second part of my interview with Daedalus and uh we kind of split in kind of a deep point of the conversation where we pick up he gets into the evolution of his stage show which is really interesting and we kind of have this long uh existential artist crisis conversation that I really like to have that I think is kind of the engine of secret skin it's like <laughs> trying to figure out how it is that everybody that I know does this and how are they not crazy yet or maybe they are crazy and they're just like functionally same but you'll see um his answer and I you know I reveal a little bit of my uh artist stuff as well it's a pretty interesting uh conversation and here it is part two with Daedalus and Secret Skin this is your your this is your secret radio hour it belongs to you Oh, I'm about to go do this funny or die thing. I'm not supposed to tell anybody this, but by the time you hear it, it'll be tomorrow and it will have happened already. So I'm going to go do that. It should be fun. It might not be, but it should be. I'm going to spend a lot of time backstage watching wrestling on my phone, though. That's that's uh, that's my plan. It's my go-to. Quick, quick story for you. I was watching WrestleMania, right? Gosh, I meant to talk less on this one. I was watching WrestleMania. Um... I can't really watch it in my house because my kid's too young to watch it, so I need to find places to watch WrestleMania. And this year, um, since WWE has switched to their like Netflix-like app, the WWE Network, they no longer like publicize lists of bars where you can actually go watch the stuff. Like, they just want you to just get the network. <laughs> Pardon me. And um, I couldn't find a place around, so I went to this bar near my house that I thought might have it because they had UFC. Or they always have UFC because it's like a UFC fight every other day. And I figured they might, but they didn't. But I walk into this place. 
and people are watching basketball. It was the NCAA tournament at the time. And um, uh, when I walk in, I choose this empty table. It's kind of like, you know, in the middle of the place by a wall. It seems fine enough. Since they're not showing it, I'm going to have to, like, be watching WrestleMania on my phone. Uh, and then I'm going to take my laptop out later. I'm going to set up a whole station. And this empty table is the perfect place to do this thing. And I'm sitting there watching it on my phone. And I start to get the sense that people are looking at me and not in like the normal sense where it's not true, but I still think it is. But in like actually every time I look up, I feel like somebody's actually looking in my direction. Um, I start to feel a little weird, but I'm like ordering drinks and I'm watching WrestleMania on my phone. and I kind of don't care. But then I realize I am sitting directly beneath the big screen that everyone is watching the NCAA basketball game on. And that is why there was no people there <laughs> at this table. Because that's a terrible place to sit. While everyone in the room is looking six inches above your head the entire time. Um, so I'm sure I was providing some sort of distraction during commercial breaks. Watching WrestleMania and hooping and hollering inside of myself. The occasional raising of arms. The occasional audible sigh. That's my life, folks. It's my secret skin. Where's yours? This is your secret radio hour. Goodbye. So you were you were uh, performing at that time. Was it just an accordion on stage? Like, where, where, where were you? What were you doing on stage? That, at that was point? right at a transitionary moment in my career where I was just um, I was fidgeting with a lot of live instrumentation. I was doing these sets with all this hardware. I would have all these hardware sequencers and samplers, okay. playing guitar, bass, clarinet like kind of pre live looping. Okay. I'm sure I would have gone that direction. I'm sure I would have started to like loop stuff, but it was really invention era material still, sure. even though that was a few years earlier. So basically everything that you created with, you kind of had on stage. Exactly. Okay. All these like circumvent toys yeah. and just stuff. It was a mess. And <laughs> it was always the case that just whatever I could do with my hands, a lot of knob twiddling and stuff. It was just, that would be the only thing I could do at that moment. Right. So changing a sequence, say on these like crazy weird, hardware sequences I had that could actually affect MIDI on the fly, which took me forever to buy, like took all my ducats right. to, to obtain. And so I was able to do that and then like play guitar for a second. But again, without the live looping being at least even with the sequence stuff, it was all kind of higgledy piggledy. It was definitely not the music that I heard on the records. I wasn't able to achieve the sounds I was mm. able to do on the records. So there was, there was a distance that way, but it was like representations of songs. And I would work with string quartets or jazz ensembles. Right. And that would cost all the money I would get from the gig <laughs> right. to rehearse with them once and play with them kind of poorly. I have recordings <laughs> of this stuff. I mean, that was actually one of the reasons why I was so grateful for my involvement with, with Bus Drive with Reagan is yeah. because he would be willing to like get up on stage and just kind of riff on these kind of, you know, like, can you imagine like you were talking about emceeing with no beat, but can you imagine emceeing with just like the vague hint of a melody <laughs> and like a string quartet blaring on in the background? That's what Reagan's built for. Yeah, man. Reagan is great at that. <laughs> and thank goodness. I really, I, I feel like those couple years before I figured things out were like that. And so things really changed in 2003 okay. when 2003, 2004, when I met this inventor named Brian Crabtree when he was going to school in San Diego. Okay. I had a show I was booked there and he had this really early prototype of this thing that he was eventually to call the Monome, uh, M-O-N-M-O-N-O-M-E. Monome is phonetically how it's you know spelled. but uh, And that thing was like, oh, this is a way you can perform samples in a way that I can use all 10 fingers. And so not on like a piano, like really make monumental changes at, at a finger. So, I mean, is essentially what it is, is, I mean, is it, is it more, uh, is it triggering samples through MIDI? So in, in the way I'm using it, it's just an open, it's an, it's generally just an open palette for whatever you want to have it send and, and do. Okay. For the way I'm using it, I'm using it as a sample trigger device and it's sending through OSC, which is similar to MIDI, but faster. Okay. It's using custom software that is really elegant if you really get down to it this patch that they designed in max msp even back in the day was just like light years ahead of where live was at until really recently Mm. a lot of these programs are just really genius stuff that i was a very direct beneficiary of again this kind of like moment in time right right now there has been no other moment up until then i feel like that really could accurately reproduce sample based music and now since there is hundreds of controller options all this is to say that um there was definitely a clear moment where 
all these other elements were very necessary and then suddenly I was more adrift and able to be alone on stage. And so the accordion not being as positive, not being, the, like I never have been the best player of instruments, but then the sound being the more interesting thing and that being possible then. Okay, when you first started, you're, you're, you're making things with instruments you have around you and you're like live recording a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, do you use, now you're using, on the thing you're making now, you're using like free software? Yeah. Like, would you would you want to say what kind of software you were using? Oh, I'm just using Pro Tools. Okay, and then very the very most generic plugins that come free with Pro Tools, for wow. instance, and basically using a free version of Pro Tools. Um, but I think part of that is a reaction to like the fact like when I play guitar, I, I play guitar badly. I play it in a limited fashion. I, I specifically remove two strings and make it to a four string guitar okay. with an open tuning what they call an open tuning and I've been using this for years since like 2004 or 2003 this open tuning um, and so that's kind of like my tuning for instance mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like other people could obviously do the same thing to their instrument but like why would they want to right like, <laughs> they have so many more strings so many more possibilities <laughs> But I do feel like somehow specific about that or like bass clarinet isn't show up that often on other people's recordings. And I, I don't know, I feel like I want to broaden my approach. I want to broaden my sound and by including these techniques, these more open techniques, maybe I feel like it's more inclusive. And yet at the same time, I feel like I am, I'm, I am returning right now in the recording process to weaving back in more of those things that make it me, I guess. Well, because I'm, I mean, uh, listening to the Light Brigade album, okay, it yeah. seems very, um, it seems very non- technologically oriented i mean is that stuff was that stuff all analog recording or what? yeah there is some synthesis involved but it's all played instruments doing the singing on that album yeah it's this guy Amir Yagmai who's a long-term collaborator I went to high school with him he he's in a crazy band right now he's playing in Julian Casablanca's Voids okay. group okay. but he also played in a group called Jogger and I released their record oh right okay yeah 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 he was the violinist guitarist in that group and he is the violinist guitarist on almost all my records oh, okay. that have any of those kind of instruments um, and then his voice his voice is amazing his voice is amazing yeah That album is listed as being inspired by the 1853 to 1856. Yeah, the, yeah, the Crimean conflict that ended up being, pres I mean, precipitated the exact conflict that's just unfolding now in the Ukraine so, in part. Like what or how does that inspiration manifest itself in the music? Like, and it's in... Because the music doesn't sound like conflict. It sounds very warm and uh, sweet, even in a lot of senses. So is this... When I was trying to bridge an understanding in my mind, what I did was I created a scenario where there was like a love story going on in the middle of a, of this war. But what? how did it inform the music? Well... I am coming at it through the lens of mysticism. There's okay. a lot of mysticism that was involved in that particular conflict. Oh, okay. There was a lot of okay. um, old empire, but also specifically um, the Russian mystic tradition trying to regain, like losing their, Crimea is seen as being like the fountain of, of some of their religious destiny. Mm. And that's part of the reason so why they took it back. It's very much involved in the holy Russian land, quote church. unquote, yeah. kind of thing. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Um, yeah, in part. You know, they have, I think that's just one of these sure. kind of places. But yeah, but very much that space. And then also, I also wanted the, the sweetness maybe you're hearing is, to me, it isn't necessarily sweetness. There's a there's a, um, a, a kind of veneer I'm trying to paint that has to do with the ancientness of it, the mm. years. And also, 
a lot of the sourness that's going on currently, I recorded the record before the current right. conflict was really in full swing. Like mm -hmm. it would, it was finishing when things were kind of happening in Crimea. So it was, it got really surreal mm -hmm. to do this thing that was based on war that very few people even know about right. or remember. And then all of a sudden it's not, it's international news again. Yeah. It's very strange. Mm -hmm. And so I was painting in these strokes and there are a lot of other things. Florence Nightingale is a figure in that moment in time, kind of the inventor of modern nursing mm -hmm. was in that conflict. And I don't know, there's, there is, I don't know. It, it has to all be filtered through the fact that this is my impression and the song sure. titles have a lot more to do with it than the songs themselves. Right. Maybe in the same way Absolutely. That, that you've mentioned in passing tones about naming songs yeah. and giving it kind of clarification and meaning. There's that in there. So this was a, this was a brain feeder record. This is a brain feeder. And yeah. this is like the third one with brain second. feeder? Second. Second one. Yeah. The first one being Righteous Fist, which is also based on a three year conflict from the Victorian period. Okay. And I'm working on another one in my head that, um, yeah, the second Boer War, I can say it here. I mean, nobody else is going to steal my idea and work on <laughs> the second Boer War, right? And I think that one's really interesting. It's another three-year conflict that happened during the Victorian period. but Where was that in, one? In Africa. Okay. And it's kind of has a lot to do with South Africa and the, the Boers, which are the, the Dutch, basically. What is it about um, historical conflict? I mean, are, have you done it more than these two instances? Have you used that as a... As a creative engine, I've summoned things from uh, not so much the work as a conflict mm -hmm. as an impetus, but the ancient for sure. I really like the fact that there isn't of like an audio recording of that moment. So as much as people, you know, we have you know written music from those periods, we don't have the sound, the specific sound hasn't been recorded. So I could really that could have been the soundtrack of that moment. Huh. It, it's not it's very improbable statistically that people had access to electronic instruments and <laughs> soaring voices but you know what nobody knows better and that's what that's what's informing the techniques that you're using when you're creating it, it's freeing i feel like i can paint in my strokes versus if i try to do a record about the 90s i mean gosh the like and i know this is more for me uh -huh. than it is for other people or, or let's say the 70s like a lot of kids now that are active listening to music they didn't live through the 70s they have their own impressions i could do a musical take on my one-year-old self in 1970 <laughs> you know 1978 or whatever but i still feel the crushing weight of those moments like right. i'm in way too informed by right. the exact sound the weft of it is just too strong uh -huh. can't break that so this yeah, ancient just, stuff gives freedom a record like uh and I meant to circle back to this mm -hmm. too, just from, uh, you know, from Concrete Jungle to kind of actually working with Bus Driver and making mm -hmm. the weather and with Radioactive. Yeah. Um, sonically, were there any guidelines or any, anything that was informing what you were doing then? Um, any, anything? Is it okay to cuss? Sure, yeah. I was trying to fuck them up. Okay. I was you, were trying to, to, you were trying to trying fuck to, up Reagan and, 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 Kamal. and Kamal. Kamal. I was trying to literally, they were picking my weirdest beats. Like yeah. I already had some, some leftover, <laughs> or not leftover, but like things that I had been working on toying with for different records. And they were picking weird, non sequitur songs. And I was just like, well, what can I make that will push them further? Mm. Like leave them less or give them more songs without like out without uh, easy signature like oh yeah. this doesn't come back every four every eight every seven this is like an 11 but then it also skips to a seven measure and to their credit they were along for the ride when we sleep standing up bed frame shoes headboard hats pillow earmuffs and a t-shirt when we sleep standing up upside down in the cave wearing pants made from dreams are woven from AEG that's a warm by Christ or slime slice poor fried rice I quote I see of course I sleep where I walk and I talk in a rare spot and sure go talk in a rare the songs they were picking a lot of them i had to toss and tease because so here bus driver would write very diligently mm -hmm. this is this is my impression sure and this could be wrong and kamal might have some words for me later <laughs> but bus driver would be very diligent and write everything down and like practice it so when he came in and, and hit that mic maybe it was his years of concrete jungle but he came in very ready yeah every single take every word if it was off from he where he planned it he would go back and right. do it again kamal i don't think ever he wasn't off the dome he would write but, but he'd write in looser. the moment and his, it was like every take would be looser. different i noticed i noticed that about the record that driver's verses were 
you could tell they were mathematically spot on and Same. Kamal's was way more looser. And yeah. I feel like the the conundrum between the two of them was part of the power of the I, I agree. There was definitely like, uh, Kamal's crazy. Like yeah. you could read that on the record. Like Kamal is radioactive, is insane. And he, shapeshifter, mm-hmm. like the whole thing that was kind of going on. And you would see that and you would hear it and it would kind of add a little element of danger to what is otherwise kind of a silly record. Right. Or And Driver as well. Like there's songs like the, the hardly hip hop song at the end is like, I was so happy sonically to be able to do something that had that kind of feel and just still be on the record. I don't know if you remember that song, but it's just basically distortion and just the drum machine. Yeah. And then the yelling basically. record actually that's how i ended up with a lot of the early work was when that one yeah when i when i signed and then you know i walked out there with a box of cds and mm-hmm. you know was hearing a lot of your stuff and so weird. yeah Ugh. um but i mean i was gonna ask you about that too i mean you've worked with a bunch of different labels is there is that something that you always want to continue to do would you like to have one label home one day or is it more advantageous for you to do different things with different people i mean i really feel like every label has their own feeling yes and it's it's both it's beyond back catalog it's it's the people own it the run it the way they do their pr the way they kind of express themselves Mm -hmm. is like this dialogue again more dialogues more but perhaps what's even more important is what is the sickness that makes me a musician? Mm. Like, what is it that continues to have me perform at shows, which is not always so comfortable, continue to release records. I have 15 records now, something like wow. that. And so it's like, what can makes me feel like interested in still having this? And so there's obviously something wrong with me that I haven't solved this puzzle a long time ago. And it also, I think that same impetus, that same thing keeps me moving around to different labels, not because I feel like any one label is going to solve it all and be like the ultimate home. I just feel like there is something else to be gained from that, that, you know, maybe a sane person would be like, I love this, this music I make from this one label and I don't, you know, I'm happy for these reasons and I'm going to be done. I've definitely had some labels that have been more rewarding financially and maybe not as easy in terms of egos, but that isn't the reason why I'm, I'm moving around. Right. It's much more about, and I'm not chasing that kind of stuff. It's just there's, there's another record in me I really feel confidently about, and also another way of expressing it. Huh. And I guess then, then, it, then it kind of begs this question too: Is it like, okay, let's say you have uh, put out a record with a label and it wasn't the greatest experience, but that was something you were compelled to release through that label. I mean, is it, do you, do you have any projects that you look back on and you don't like that, 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 that experience has somehow tainted how you feel about the work itself? No, I, I don't think like, I don't think I've, I've never had any of those regrets. I can okay, imagine good. maybe I can imagine like this idea that some people get on a major and then their record gets shelved. And then they don't, they don't want to hear that music because of that experience. Yeah. Man. I can imagine, or just the fact that it, it has been deprived of having air and so mm-hmm. it doesn't exist. And so is it really a record if it never came out? Right. Gosh, uh, you hear about the nightmare again and again. I don't even understand why people release music on majors anymore, other than the fact that maybe you're going to be that one in a million that gets that, <laughs> the real, the total benefit of what the, the mythology is. I just never see it really happening for anybody. Right just never seems to go down like that. It's crazy. Yeah. But but besides that, I mean, I, I've, I've always had, like no matter what my personal experience is or that moment in time has not allowed, it's been f- phenomenal. But again, I think it's very selfish. Like again, my success measures are very different than maybe other people. Right. Or maybe not, I don't know. <laughs> I think, they, I think I mean, it's I, very healthy to have this conversation about what is these demarcations for people because right. it's something all too often you end up just talking about what the new hot song is or some crazy thing that you dug up on vinyl but you don't often have that kind of talk about like what really motivates you and makes you satisfied as a musician i think everyone's kind of scared of what the answer is it's an essential question for me because i would say i'm probably a third of the way probably into what my complete sentence would be 
in terms of rap music. That's what I feel like, right? Mm. And I and and that's a, a question that I, that I keep uh, coming into contact with is like, what does success mean if this endeavor and each step of it? Um, there's parts that make me feel good and parts that make me feel awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so what? What is what is the drive, and then what satisfies the drive? I have a real. Um, sometimes I get really concerned that I won't ever feel satisfied. Well, it is foolish to think that there is satisfaction in this. Mm, I, I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. No, no, no. I, 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 but the idea that there is somehow a conclusion to the sentence, because mm-hmm. you think that you're one, one third of the way through. And yet at the same time to think that there is an end, there is a period at some point, any kind of punctuation, hyperbangs. You want to go back to that one? That's a, it's a great one. It's an awesome punctuation. Is crazy because if you think of yourself as that there is a best of you and a worst of you, you are depriving people who have signed on and believed in you. Mm. And and this is again maybe heavy handed, but truly, like you know, you're bringing so much more to the table as as a person who's even having this kind of this kind of thought process mm. to think that it ends is to think that you end well it's it's not i think what i what i have is more it's more of just a, a feeling a sensation mm-hmm. that okay i've put out like four albums i've put out like four or five eps and um unless i start to have radically different life experiences i feel like oh okay i'm starting to hit some of the same notes <laughs> you know what i mean i'm starting to like oh like because you know sometimes what it is with me is that i've figured out that a lot of times when i'm doing it's attempting to to say the same thing in a more perfect way sure but that's that's true no matter what and but to assume that anybody else is having that kind of level of dialogue or that narrative that 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 insight into your narrative that they've gone through the process of all four records is it's crazy no i've been i've I've read it well some people i mean some people some people (laughs) of course there's there's the true people who have gotten on board but to to imagine they're going to continue for the fifth or the sixth i mean people graduate out of music so quick of course and they stop listening that's funny i think of that too i think of that too because that's it's it's another it's a, a time demarcation of like i'm looking at where i am now and very appreciative because like um I am too hyper vigilant in a lot of senses where I, you know, I'm watching metrics. I, I watch things very closely, too closely a lot of the time. And so I, I'm, I'm very aware of the differences of, of um, how far I've come from where I started. And, and, but I think about sometimes like, Oh, I remember when I only had like 15 fans, you know what I mean? And like seven of those, I don't really hear from anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Easily, they've, yeah. they've moved on. They've, they've, they've got, their lives are different now. They might be into different things. I'm doing slightly different things than sure. what I started with, but it's like, oh, huh. Like, so I, I think it's both wonderful that you think that you could escape yourself and that there is new things possible. In a lot of ways, there's, it's impossible. Your snowflake mm-hmm. is so unique mm-hmm. that there's no way out or in, right? I mean, not right. to sound defeatist, but it's like true. It's like you, you we we all think we're, is it gilding the lily or something? There's some phrase where that, basically- I heard that phrase. I don't know what it means though. I think it's just making it seem more fancy than it is. But mm-hmm. like this idea that you can never really like do a different record, mm-hmm. right? Uh, even if you're using different sounds, a different tempi and all that stuff, it's just like, nope, you're pretty much just doing you again. Right. <laughs> just sli- you know, different variables, but it's it's all pretty much the core. And then at the same time that you ever feel like you ever could recapture anything you've ever done. And I don't mean to sound all like like the Sphinx or something, like too much conundrum in the mix, but it's like true. It's like the idea that you could ever even sound like the air in that room that you recorded and captured as well. Right. That moment in time. Yeah, it's such a specific thing. And it sounds like a lot of times you are doing the essential thing. You are like kind of honoring yourself as you are. You're doing that thing mm-hmm. that you, you know, you're you're attempting to recreate that person that you are in that moment and you're you're being that truth rather than like too like trying to worry about uh, things outside of yourself. And so like that makes it even doubly harder to ever get back there. Yeah. I I I love that kind of stuff though. And I, I know in a lot of ways other people never give themselves either time to think about that. Or or they do, but they there's not much place to give it air. I guess mm-hmm. there's just not many places to talk about that kind of stuff. But it's I my, feel like, it's my favorite kind of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I do really feel like the records that people are making, um, 
when it's when it feels okay so i'm going to use this term very loosely but when there's an onomatopoeia mm-hmm. when they are their sound mm-hmm. and you can kind of feel that back and forth it's really powerful yeah and sometimes it is like puffed chest like a lot of times the mc it's like okay you guys it's exaggerate a little is that what you mean yeah there, there was exaggerations and there's like kind of things that are outside of out of an experience that is directly held but they're talking about things mm-hmm. and it's part of the dialogue well, i'm not dialogue i keep using that word <laughs> it's part of the specific parts of the form like um, what's an example of that well gangstrap's sure. a great oh okay great so example. Like not direct not everything is directly uh experienced yeah okay and and but the same thing could be said about what you know avant rap or whatever it's like you know using a lot of concepts and ideas that may exist outside of you know like the realistic narrative be it because it is it is like you know sci-fi though deltron never happened i'm just gonna put out there i'm sorry (laughs) there has not been a 30 30 well we're not there yet (laughs) we're getting there or you know the once the large hadron collider happens maybe you never know yeah it might have been what he's warning us about the entire album yeah okay so as much as i'm talking about stuff i i feel the same conundrum like why how what's the thing why get up in the morning why do this (laughs) and i've been approaching it this year trying to be really honest about it and trying to understand but i still feel so excited no i'm I'm very excited too um i am uh and i don't think the question for me so much is why um i think the question for me is what i think the what is the bigger question for me. here's a question mm-hmm. you put voice on things you put words on mm-hmm. things how much are you tempted to directly comment on current events versus mm-hmm. just detail the words in perfect precision as they prepare to portend each other like mm. like how often do you just fall in love with words and their choices and the poetry of that and versus like speaking on something very directly that doesn't necessarily include the form itself um i feel like it always includes the form i always include the form i believe i have i have done some things lately i've been experimenting with some things that, that at at most uh, try to ignore my relationship with the form as mm-hmm. much as possible, but I still feel like the form is is in there. Mm-hmm. You know, like I live inside of the form. I feel like, um, and and I do comment on current events, oftentimes not in a very direct way in terms of this happened today or this is happening now. Um, I tend to comment on them more emotionally, mm-hmm. so. Um, you know, like the song I was explaining to you earlier when we weren't recording, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like there's a there's a component in it that deals with um, race history, and it's uh, a direct result of things that are happening now. That that because there's racial issues happening in America, in the world, and these different instances of these racial uh, things happening, and and this conversation that's uh, takes place and it doesn't take place and it takes place and doesn't takes place. It it um it results in me having this kind of anxiety, mm-hmm. and and I think most of the song is just about the actual feeling of the of the emotion of anxiety and me dealing with it. But then that last, that last part is about like this thing causes me anxiety. <laughs> Why don't you understand that I should feel anxious? Yeah. And it it just happens to be a racial thing. something that we didn't talk about earlier but can we talk about now just briefly can we talk about race together yeah of course yeah are you familiar with race together oh the starbucks thing initiative yeah oh um race together is the kind of thing that what it's main what that means for me in my life is that i just wouldn't go to starbucks as long as that's happening isn't that interesting right i it would it would preclude me from because if i want coffee um the idea too that you have somebody who like why aren't we having like uh like a pour together like the, oh. the fact that somebody's like working there that isn't necessarily super happy about making their minimum wages right. or they're like slightly better i mean starbucks is not the worst employer but like it is a tough time and the right. fact that you're forcing this person to have 
a necessary but difficult conversation about race, but we're not also supposed to talk about the factors that brought them to their position. Right. I don't know, maybe that is part of the conversation. That would be, but like, it's a really... And you know, it's funny, because what, you, what you've just underscored is how how much of an ivory tower type of idea that is to come down from the penthouse and not real, you know, not like, because they're, of course, they're not worried about having a poverty conversation because they don't have poverty conversations in the penthouse. You know what I mean? It doesn't exist there. You know, well, I think, I think everybody feels like they're not at the height of their success. Right. Nobody is like, I mean, probably I would hope that if you're making however many millionaire you feel like I'm doing okay. Right. But if you actually look statistically, most people, even if they're not, most people don't feel poor or poor, but most people definitely don't feel upper class. Right. Most people feel kind of middle class, even if it's wildly skewed elsewise. Right. Very few people are middle class. Uh, but just to comment on you know, that kind of notion that they're in their towers yeah. saying ivory things. And, and it's, you know, it's just the, the, the space that they have from poverty where they feel like, oh, race is an important conversation to have, which is kind of interesting, too, because it makes you wonder what kind of race conversations happen in the penthouse as well. well maybe they pay a nice gentleman to come up <laughs> and give them the drubbing about race. They've, well, they've, they've heard from their politically active friends right. what's going on in the streets. They're connected, don't they're on Twitter. They're on Twitter. They're on a Twitter machine. They're, they're, oh, but they're not really on Twitter. They're on protected tweets. They're, let's, let's be careful here. Say one wrong thing and you're going to ruin your social count. Yeah, you've seen um, this Trevor Noah stuff, huh? Have you seen that? No, I've, I've, I've seen comment about it, but I've not seen I, it. Okay, I, just, I was seeing comment for a while and I dug in yesterday. So what happened was, you know, of course, after he gets announced to get that The Daily Show position, yeah. all of a sudden uh, everybody's going through his web history with Fine Tooth Comb. And he has tweeted some awful things in the past. He is like, he's, he's, the, the ones I found most problematic was he, he had some kind of fat girl tweets that mm -hmm. were kind of like, oh, that's, that's but not Do you nice. think it's the kind of thing though? I did see the, the, the fat girl tweet. So I, that is something I did, did witness. And it's very, it's a terrible joke. A right. that, that alone, like, I don't think there's ever a space for totally offensive, for offensive. I'm not a fan of it myself. I like the idea that you, that you know offensive language has its its meaning because it is spared and you know we we can easily witness it and stuff mm -hmm. and like it's not not given too much air we don't just you know say words until they're like commonplace but it's one of those things where it's just you see him trying to feel out that form right and it's just no right. this that one's that one's a bad joke you don't right. want to say that one again right the fact that he left it up right well or is it left up or is it I, no i think it was left up and i think it's still left up yeah um but see, I'm I'm personally I'm not I'm not a big tweet deleter either. I have like forty thousand, and a lot, and some of them are bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some of them probably could be taken the wrong way. I'm because I guess uh, my thing is after I write something and put it out in the world, I don't necessarily want to keep thinking about it. So it'll live and it'll go back in the annals. And nobody will pay attention. So I don't necessarily. First of all, I'm not. I do think that he shouldn't have tweeted those things, but he did in the past mm -hmm. and i don't think that it's something to make a huge deal out of now necessarily i don't i don't i don't think that it's okay but i don't think it should the things that he tweeted uh when i saw them didn't look like things that should preclude him from success in his workplace i think if you put everyone under a fine tooth comb you're gonna find the inner workings of the mind is is much more reprehensible than we want to absolutely allow for i do feel like there is a concept that was floated by one of the founders of google a while ago which i really I like it's that basically you have a moment in time when you're like 18 when you change your name mm. and your entire social space changes you get rid of everything and i feel like every couple of years like saturn's return you eject everything you've ever done mm. and you start anew born fresh as much as we try to accrue from our space of trying to have you know these metrics of fandom and stuff you try yeah. to have these numbers it would be amazing to just be able to walk away every once in a while and you know 
you it's more like you know you were this person now you're not this person and to have it be a constant persistent it's beyond just the fact that tweets remain it's like all like you probably have some press photos that maybe you're not absolutely or, or like not even press photos just moments that have happened in time that someone's caught that isn't your your happiest moment right but it will live forever sometimes now. it's like oh why do they keep you why do people keep using that picture i hate that picture you know sure, like that sure. for sure and so we as artists have kind of kind of taken ourselves off that list but for the for more joe and jane out there you know they that benefit of being able to walk away and have like different identities is maybe something that people should really seriously consider just from a psychic perspective this uh, idea that we have these perfect memory palaces now that are imperfect because that isn't actually how we self-style we just have these moments that just live you know i do feel like i mean okay i guess i guess there's there's the possibility. Do you watch a uh, watch House of Cards? I watched the first season. Oh, okay, the well, drama the, got me a little. Tough. <laughs> I liked it because it's, and I'm usually not a drama guy, but um, something about that show is absurd to me, and that makes it that makes it all right because it's, it's like, <laughs> oh, this is all ridiculous. So it's okay if I felt like it was real people doing awful things to each other, and I probably wouldn't necessarily be able to enjoy it the same. But. Uh, there's a story arc in this season of someone who was trying to do, trying to create a new identity, yeah. but their history caught up with them. And uh, and that's the thing is like, I guess there is a space for a person to be able to change their name, change their location, uh, making, an, make an older person kind of disappear. Mm. Um, older I, self kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess like you can't, you can't really do that psychologically though. You still those, you're still that, collection of experiences so let's look at this through that lens of, of race mm -hmm. i mean we are as a country you could argue we are really evolving our concepts if you just take the macro out slightly and you look at a larger time frame we've made huge jumps mm -hmm. uh politically and judicially more than anything else let's just say judicially like you know the, the the law system has really changed absolutely and yet we have so much more to go and so things like race together are really interesting just to have a dialogue with that kind of stuff but at the same time it's like it's so tineered and tone deaf it's like what is the actual thing that's going to do that mm. what's going to be the thing especially as artists like we're supposed to lead the way we're supposed to like imagineer people's mind spaces into what is what is what, what, I, so here's here's a funny thing that i really like is that there is this there's a science that has shown that things that are depicted in science fiction the future depicted in science fiction is much more likely to happen mm -hmm. than non-amplified futurism. Absolutely. And like Star Trek being in this like crazy, you know, <laughs> the year, you know, this millennium, millennia far away. It's like, no, we actually have all that stuff now. Right. Like, like other the flip than phone the, is the communicator. Like it all, it all informs how the technology it gets applied once the technology exists. It's like, yeah, they just have like the, the dot matrix that people can then fill in the blanks yeah. and then suddenly it exists. It's just, they set the tone. And I just feel the same thing about art. It's like if we can just imagine something, it's so much more likely to happen for good or for bad. I agree. Um, but man, that leaves us with a terrible, like we have this, we owe a lot of people a lot of things. Awesome responsibility, yeah. I suppose. And we don't get paid that much. But yeah, well, you know, we'll never. It works out okay. It works out okay. It, it does. And then, and then, you know, the thing, the thing itself being a rewarding thing to do is just, you know, so maybe 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 this should be the, the conversation more often is less about how people are doing, but just more like what what is the where are they occupying in that social responsibility? Like where, like how can we do better as mm -hmm. artists like that? I mean, when you're saying that, what it makes me want to maybe challenge myself to do is actually be more detailed about the world I would like to see. Mm -hmm. You know, so then maybe when I'm you know, and, and a little nuances in between the ideas that I'm putting across the music i can insert you know in, 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 and it's being fully uh honest of the fact that these things aren't here but like i could be more um more meticulous yeah. i think like i can make another level of decisions <laughs> right. in, in terms of shaping what i would like to see yeah honoring the current self the reactive self isn't always going to necessarily yield the that future and I, I i definitely am a, that's like something i got to work on myself mm. it's really easy with music that has no lyric <laughs> to, to try to paint in 
broad strokes that seem to be large, but I still name songs. I still have intentions. I think the music carries a lot of story. It does. The vibration is very important. Yeah. You know, um, and I, I definitely, I tend towards more melancholic and sour than sweet mm. and hopeful, but maybe that's something I can change. It's funny because I wouldn't agree with that. I, 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 of course, couldn't debate your intention at all, but my experience of it, like the light brigade, I think is for me, it feels very warm and sweet. It feels like awesome. it feels like a bathtub full of uh, of my favorite coffee. Like, you know what I mean? Not that I need to get in it, but it's all there and the whole house smells like it. You know what I mean? And it's that's like, amazing. It's, it's, to me, that's that's the experience of it, you know? It's so interesting because fundamentally, just from a very theoretical standpoint, it's like a lot of minor chords. Right. Stapped on minor chords. But it does make a difference. Like, I think over and over again, we can witness the fact that whatever uh, science tells us, it isn't necessarily the intention of the thing. Is there anything you'd like to point people toward? Uh, well, oh, so something I've been wrestling with myself, okay. and I feel like this just if I may, because I know people are listening. Sure. The act of listening is so radically important, and I feel like it is a art form. Mm. It is really like there is a thing that has been said a lot, but when you say to someone thank you, or when you say to someone yeah thank you, if if you if somebody doesn't say you're welcome, it's like the thank you barely existed mm. it's like it almost never existed so listening from an artist's perspective if if people are actively listening and engaged in and obviously people who are listening right now are it is you guys are like the people who are doing that are, are radical they are like the truth people they are mm. like the best people and it is so much the it, it is under um under expressed i feel like nowadays that wow. when somebody really takes the time to to do that to like sit down like say you do a record right you do this all the time right. you've done four or five of them now yeah that somebody actually listens to it without checking their email and right you know actually, maybe a few distractions but like more like the ones where you're like petting a cat or like you know <laughs> like you're still in your moment when you're doing that you are you're you are creating a circuit, but you're also doing something extremely radical in this current night, in this current existence. And I think people should be celebrated it for that. It is radical. You're right. Because there are so many more distractions. I don't even know if it's more. I just think literally the art form of listening has kind of gone by the wayside. Mm. As, as the medium has changed from being the purposefulness of putting a needle on a record and having your equipment that you've spent X amount for and like it being its own separate media entertainment. Right. The fact it's bundled with your laptop nowadays, it's like... How can you expect someone not to do the thousand other things, the click-throughs and the purchases? I mean, that honestly, I, I listen. I do my best listening driving now, and that's sad because I'm trying to stay alive and not hurt mm-hmm. other people. But that is my most focused attention-wise. Sure. Wow. And just imagine the thousand decisions you're making. Exactly. And every decision takes a little willpower. It actually takes. There's like a reservoir of willpower and of attention you have, and every time you use it, it gets goes away a little bit. So, it yeah, it's it, it's a challenging circumstance that we all are in but the more people do that and choose to do that like it's really making the world a better place and it's making a better place by not saying anything or doing anything so it's super cheap generally <laughs> it's free listening is free and it's wow yeah. so i would i think that's something i'd like to propagate more often you guys so that was an interview and this is a rapping song this is a song i probably wrote around 2010 it was originally supposed to be on the Animal Hospital album that I made with Awkward is produced by Awkward. This is one of the original maladies of an album that ultimately ended up being about uh, artist maladies, rapper ones in specific. Um, uh, at some point, that album took a real turn towards darkness, and I cut this song off of it because um, it was a little sillier than I wanted to go but it's a really good song he's performing all the time I just said it was a really good song and I made it so maybe that's a malady right there I like my stuff a lot I'm sure that's in the DSM somewhere people who like their stuff too much but uh, the song is called 
the bestest, or at least that's what the demo is called. I'm sure by the time it went to market, I would have gave it a better title. Um, I used to really hate critics at this time. Still kind of do, but really then. This is all rappers with die natural causes era writing, which was all about <laughs> how much I hate people who write about rap music. But um, I don't know. It's funky. It's old. So I can't really rap that good on it. Well, actually, if I did it now, it'd sound better. But I'm not gonna, I don't think. I might. Who knows? This is Secret Skin. Fuck a tweet, fuck a blog, fuck a Comcast, fuck your broadband, fuck your podcast. I'm a home critic, I overanalyze my own lyrics. And for y'all that don't get it, it's the best song ever made. The best song since forever day, best from the West to the Everglades. Nobody ever made a song as fly, so every critic in the house dies. According to my calculations, the morning sun does mic salutations. In Calcutta, they say I'm a foul brother. I telepathically turned off the cows of others. I got a satellite cell phone using the same lotions as Vanna White's elbows. And my average height, hell no. And I came here on a rather bright sailboat. Got arms better than Paul Weathers Eating toast with Scandinavian farm cheddar In my past life I was an ass white Brought St. Peter to pass like I'm half white And I got my own police force And I rode here on a lone petite horse I never shoot dice in the streets, that's just for creeps. I have my own discreet course. Fuck a tweet, fuck a blog, fuck a podcast, fuck your Comcast, fuck your broadband. I'm my own critic, I overanalyze my own lyrics. And for y'all that don't get it, it's the best song ever made. The best song since forever day. Best from the West to the Everglades. Nobody ever made a song as fly. So every critic in the house die. Every critic in the house shut the funk up. Every critic in the house shut the funk up. Every critic in the house shut the funk up. Every critic in the house die. I got 500 Christmas trees Cause I couldn't find one that interests me I eat unicorn meat You can't guard me unless you uniform me I keep a trained sniper every two to four feet And what kind of math puts you before me? You smoke cheap stogies and your humidor stinks You probably have a blog, fuck you and your links I go to Starbucks and everybody's starstruck To get them off me, I say I got the far touch Going through my rap book for tonight's premiere Rock Adidas in stores, we're Nike gear, Rock Adidas in stores wearing Nike gear, Rock Adidas in stores wearing Nike gear. Fuck a tweet, fuck a blog, fuck a podcast, fuck your Comcast, fuck your broadband. I'm my own critic, I overanalyze my own lyrics. And for y'all that don't get it, it's the best song ever made, the best song since forever. Day best from the West to the Everglades. Nobody ever made a song as fly, so every critic in the house die. Every critic in the house shut the funk up. Every critic in the house shut the funk up. Every critic in the house. Shut the funk up, every critic in the house die. A space tank is my worst car. I got a search bar in my search bar. All my rap clothes are dark and vintage. My whole living room set can't be sharper image. Got a hot freezer and a cold oven. Flirting with cock teasers with old husbands. You want coffee, hun? Don't distress. I got a French press princess and shit fresh. My bubble goose cost a couple few. It's got a 10-inch screen showing couple few. You say I'm unkempt? You want some dumb shit? The new style is to walk with a bum's limp. Like a young pimp. Like a young pimp. Like a young pimp, like a young pimp Rookie playing rugby, a rookie buddy ugly An autographed picture of Snooky and a Snuggie Buddy